Hello and welcome to the European Football Show on the World Football Index. Um, as ever, I'm your host, Alan Feely, coming to you from Seville in the south of Spain. And I'm joined today by four fantastic guests to talk about uh, something slightly different this time. We're not going to be doing a recap of the week's European football action, um, as, as good as that was. Instead, we're going to be talking about almost an existential crisis that comes right at the hearts of European football that's kind of really shaken uh, the bedrock of how we conceive our game to be. Uh, that is, of course, the European Super League. Uh, to discuss it, I'm joined today by John O'Sullivan in Galway in Ireland. How are you, John? I'm good, thanks. Well, actually, I'm a little bit shook trying to keep up with the with the news cycle. It's been an, an incessant flow of uh, UEFA, UEFA Super League-related content today. So uh, I'll do my best to try and recap some of it, I'm sure, during the show. Also, Mark Doyle in Italy. How are you, Mark? Good, yeah. A bit tired and weary and... Uh surprised by what's happening but uh yeah like john just trying to trying to focus on um trying to make sense of it all really jasmine baba in germany how are you jasmine i'm unaffected by most of the news that's come out in the last 24 hours um well not really i'm an arsenal fan but oh well um yeah we're all just happy here in germany not joining any super leagues uh, and finally, Sam Leverage in Madrid, capital of Spain. How are you, Sam? You've two, you've two, you've two clubs on your hands to uh, talk about. Yeah, well, Arsenal, Milan, the two cities that are going to have derbies. I guess London as well. But no, I mean, just thinking back to the weekend with Barcelona winning the Copa del Rey, and it seems like a lifetime ago. It's hard to think that was only forty-eight hours ago that, that we're in a totally different world of football. But yeah, a lot to keep up with, and I'm sure we've got a lot to discuss. Absolutely. In case anybody's in hiding under a rock, uh, the terms of the European Super League are as so. Uh, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Milan, Arsenal, Chelsea, Inter, Juventus, Liverpool, Manchester City and Manchester United are the founding members. Uh, Florentino Perez, recently re-elected as president of Real Madrid, will serve as the first president of the European Super League. Uh, the former of the competition will be 20 clubs uh, with 15 cl- founding clubs, meaning that three more founding clubs yet to come into the picture. Um, and the additional five clubs that qualify annually based on the previous season's performance. All games will be played midweek, with each club continuing to compete in their respective national leagues, which is the ambition, and preserving the traditional character. Uh, the season will begin in August, and the league will be divided into two groups of 10, with round-trip matches played as in home and away games. Uh, the proposed idea of the tournament is to drive significantly higher economic growth that will enable the clubs to support European football through a long-term commitment that contributes to solidarity growth in the line with the income generated from the new league. These solidarity payments will exceed those currently generated in Europe, expected to exceed 10 billion euros over the club's commitment period. In exchange for their participation, each of the founding clubs will receive a one-time payment of 3.5 billion euros dedicated solely to undertaking infrastructure investment plans and offsetting the impact of COVID-19. So guys, we have representatives in England, Spain, Italy and Germany with me today. I'm looking forward to getting each of your takes on uh, this, propo- this proposed European Super League. But I guess to begin with, I just want to ask each of you what your primary feeling is just under 24 hours after the bomb was dropped. John, what's your primary kind of raw feeling? My raw feeling is that, and is what my hope is, that it might be a ruse in that the clubs are just using it as leverage to try and get greater autonomy, perhaps towards like financial remuneration for qualifying for the Champions League for the so-called established clubs. So my hope is that that's what it is and we can kind of retain the status quo so to speak because i love it the way it is i don't think it needs too much fixing if anything it probably needs it to be more equitable and to help the 
you know, the so-called smaller clubs to have a better chance. And if this were to go ahead, this European Super League, I think it would just establish a hegemony and eventually it would really damage the product and really wane people's interests in, in European uh, elite level fo- club football. So my initial hope is that it won't actually happen and they'll reach a compromise. But if it does happen, I just know two ways about it. I would be sickened. Mark, what's your initial feeling and uh, what's the feeling like in Italy? Yeah, my my initial feeling is kind of just, I don't know, resignation. I, I mean, I, it, what shocked me is how quickly it happened uh, over the weekend and, and how how rapidly the situation turned and how, how it all kind of suddenly was out there. How, how, how something that has been threatened oh, for 20, 30 years was suddenly realized. So that, that kind of is the surprise element of it. But th- this has been coming. It's been coming for a long, long time. It's, it's, it's always been a threat. Now it looks like it's going to be, they, they're, they're, they're finally willing to follow through on it. And just, just disappointed. I mean, that, that we've, that we've got to this stage. And, um, it's, it's, I mean, the general reaction in Italy, uh, the front page of Tutto Sport today was, uh, are you crazy? This, this will kill football. And I think that kind of speaks for a lot of people. There's a lot of anger in Serie A. Um, they're trying to make sense of it now, all the clubs. There's some disbelief amongst the fans, even though, again, they kind of knew that this was always a threat, this was always a possibility. But now that it's actually here, I, and, and it seems really, really credible and, and, and that there's going to be, they're, they're willing, the, the founding members are really going to fight for this, you know, prepared to go to court for it. Um, I think people are just kind of a little bit stunned at the moment and don't know what to make of, of the football world uh, in, in which we now reside because everything... Uh, has already changed and looks like it could could change even more in the coming days, weeks and months. Jasmine, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund have proved exceptional in this regard in that they've rejected any uh, chance of joining the European Super League. Uh, What's the perception in Germany uh, and what's your take on the whole thing? I think following both German and English news, it's been a little bit, um, not downgraded, but it's a bit more practical news over here, not so emotional as, you know, German teams aren't taking part. Um, it, it's it been a good kind of acknowledgement from clubs here about why they don't, don't want to join the Super League Club. Um, Bayern Munich CEO Karl-Heinz Rummenigge uh, is um, kind of come out and said that, you know, this joining the Super League isn't going to solve how you run clubs and like get them out of the losses that they're currently in. And I kind of, I, I agree with that. My personal feeling is, to be fair, and I think this goes for everyone, no matter what kind of came, whatever came out of both um, either the ECA, the changes to the Champions League, the Super League, if when anything changes, we're all very very reactive of that and don't necessarily like changes as humans so my thought is that I absolutely hate it but then to see who's running the Super League show it's somehow worse it's like a super villain bad version of the corrupt heads of UEFA so um yeah why <laughs> um it's been very practical over here saying what it will mean um the DFB and the DFL have um, come out with a joint statement against it and um they've basically also suggested in that statement that the rogue players that join up to the league, um, that say, in for instance, Werner, Havertz for Chelsea, 
might not be able to play for the national team. So they're already taking that stance. Sam, I don't know about you, but for me, the coverage in Spain has been kind of along the lines of what Jasmine has been saying in terms of they aren't as emotional or as culture war-esque as the English press seem to be today. And they're kind of more wild shocked at the proposal. They're kind of discussing it in a more level-headed way, you could say, in a, in a manner. Not without emotions, of course, but in a more kind of discursive way. Um, but what's your take on the whole thing, Sam? I mean, like, my perspective is that it seems that Florentino Perez, who's kind of obviously a key player in this operation, just recently elected as Real Madrid president, is in a very strong position in his club and in his career as well. He's getting on in the years. And I think he's almost kind of like looking for one last great legacy project. And Atletico and Barcelona's financial situations are meaning that they actually are kind of submitting almost to his project and his vision. And they're kind of bowing to that uh, to service their own kind of short-term problems. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'd agree with all of that. I mean, culturally, I think the Spanish tend to be less kind of controversial about topics like this, less kind of protesting and standing up for their rights and, and their traditions and that kind of thing, in the same way that we we do have in, in the UK or abroad. I think in Spain, they're kind of a bit more, let's see what happens. I think there's also a strange almost element that because Florentino Perez is kind of leading this, it's almost like for a lot of Spaniards who are very... Spanish, very nationalistic, are very kind of proud of the fact that this is almost a Spanish idea, which obviously is kind of a whole European idea, but the idea that Florentino is leading it, that this is going to be led by a Spanish expert, the Spanish clubs that are going to aim to win the titles, that kind of thing. It's kind of a source of pride almost. And then we've seen that people have come out through the day, they're against it. I mean, we've seen some high-profile Spanish players and the Herrera coming out against it, the Spanish government coming out against it and all sorts I think, yeah, Florentino Perez is just in a position of so much power and so much influence, not only in Real Madrid, but in La Liga and Spain in a political sense, more more than just football or just sport. But I think that's kind of his project now. I mean, he had the Galacticos and then he wanted to make Real Madrid kind of the dominant club in Europe. And you could say he did that. And now his final project is to go beyond just the borders of Real Madrid. Now it's to, to see how he can dominate European football as a whole and well this European Super League is, is exactly that and he's taking Barcelona and Atletico Madrid with along with him and they don't have a choice just because of the finances and the situations they're in. We saw you know Leeds taking Rodrigo Moreno from Valencia and I feel like the vibe in Spain is very much almost one of insecurity in many ways when it comes to talking about England and English football so I guess part of my perspective is that you know, the fact that, as you mentioned, Florentino's leading this project, it is a bit, as you mentioned, kind of almost taking back control in a weird way of the kind of European elite. But the Ander Herrera statement you mentioned is a salient point. Um, his whole kind of thing that he was saying was that he fell in love with popular football, with football with the fans, with the dream of seeing the team in my heart compete against the greatest. If the European Super League advances, those dreams are over. The illusions of the fans of the teams that are not giants of being able to win on the field. Uh, competing in the best competitions will end. He said, I love football and I cannot remain silent about this. I believe in an improved Champions League, but not in the rich ceiling what the people created, which is nothing other than the most beautiful sport in the planet. Uh, John, like, do you feel almost as if, you know, every illusion we've held about modern football, the kind of the tribalism, the idea that supporters are the centre of everything, that no matter how much money is changing hands, it's still a people's game. Has that been shattered with this announcement, do you think? 
I think that it has. And a lot of people would argue that that horse bolted in 1992 when the Premier League was formed and with Sky, you know, as the accelerant for that. But uh, really, yeah, I think it shook uh, the idea of football fandom to its core. I mean, we love to feel like that we make a tangible difference, even if it's tiny, to the welfare of our club. So, like, whether that's buying stuff online or are going to games or lending your support. We like to feel like that we make a difference, but now it feels like we're only on the periphery that really all the big decisions are made with the interests of a couple of guys in suits sitting in a boardroom in a darkened room somewhere. Um, it, it's it, yeah, it's a really chastening kind of thing to read. And you got to think like, if this happens now, then what precedent will it set? What will happen in the future? Well, Will they change the rules of the game so perhaps it's more marketable for TV? Like, will there be breaks during games? Like, who knows what kind of road we could go down with this with this potentially being allowed? So I think it's a really... This is the antithesis of my idea of what football is supposed to be, where it's a community representative, be that the local community or their community of fans. And that club represents you, and you feel like you have a stake in that club but now it it just feels like the complete opposite and it's it's a really really sad day for european football i think and my hope is that it doesn't happen but i mean increasingly it looks like it might mark i saw you tweet i think it was either this morning or yesterday evening um and it really kind of summed up my thoughts on the whole situation anyone who supports or is connected to any of these clubs should be feeling a mix of range and embarrassment right now i know i am utterly indefensible pure lies total betrayal it's time to fight back to reclaim the game. It really is now or never. And that was last, yeah, it was 10 to 1, essential European time last. Yeah, well, just, I, I suppose my initial reaction was was one of rage, definitely, and, and embarrassment because, you know, we're, we're all journalists. We all cover, the fo- uh, cover football, at, um, you know, in various different countries or in, in, in various different leagues. And, and it very much is a global game in that sense. But we all, I suppose, <laughs> we were all initially kids you know watching watching heroes on tv and drawn into the to the romance of, of, of football and we were all probably playing uh, playing football as kids on the street so you do you do still have that connection even though you you grow up and you learn more and more about how football is a business and that kind of thing but i'm sure we all have special connections i think jasmine has already mentioned she's an arsenal fan we all probably still have connections with certain clubs with certain super clubs um and and you think of of how much of time and money you may may have invested over the years in supporting these clubs, and then to see see them, you know, just turn their back, not only on their domestic competitions and the Champions League or, or UEFA, you know, because let's not let's not pretend that UEFA are somehow the good guys and all this. Um, to see them turn their back, but fundamentally on their fans, is 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 the most depressing thing about it. And and we, I'm I'm happy in a way to see. That it's mobilised certain fan groups, you know, at, at at Liverpool, at Manchester United, at Tottenham, that that they've that they've 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 voiced their disapproval of this, that they've said that they won't go on board with this, and that's the one potential positive to come out of all this is that it will unify fans together. You you talked about tribalism, which is a fantastic element of football to a degree, you know, can also produce many negative aspects. But if they, if that if they can bring people together, and I've, I've spoken to people from football supporters in Europe and the football supporters association in England, and they are very much looking to to, to represent fans as a group, you know, as a, as a as a huge entity across the world, and that, what we're all united by it's by is not only the love of the club or the love of the place or whatever, but the love of, of the game itself. And and my that's my hope is that if we're, if if there's to be any chance of stopping this, 
or any chance of looking at the system in general. And, and, and because this is a systemic issue that goes way back. I think we've all mentioned this already, that it's been coming. We know this has been a threat for a long, long time. And football isn't in a healthy state anyway. And the, 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 today we've seen the, 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 the proposals, the UEFA's plans for reforming, revamping the Champions League from 2024 on. They're not the answer either. You know, the, the Champions League has been, has been uh, creating a problem. It's been distorting competitiveness across every league in every country because of uh, the money that's coming out of the Champions League. European fixtures and uh, UCC distribution payments and money are distorting the league. Most of that, most of those money, most of that money, most of those funds are gone to the same clubs every year because the same clubs every year are qualifying for the Champions League. Leicester and Atalanta are anomalies in all this. They, they're, they're complete David versus Goliath triumphs. They, are, they shouldn't happen. Logically, they shouldn't happen. And what these guys are doing now, and Yelly, uh, Perez, all these guys, they, want, they are businessmen at the end of the day. And they want, it's all about the removal of risk. Because if you're a businessman, you want to remove the risk of losing money. And how do you do lose money? By failing to qualify for the Champions League, for failing to get access to that European money, for failing to get access to that massive TV money. Italy, for, just to come at it from an Italian perspective, Juve have outgrown Italy and they know that. And Agnelli is a very clever businessman who has rebuilt his, his, his family. Look at his family background. But he rebuilt Juventus after Calciopoli superbly, brilliantly. You have to give him credit for that. But he really, and he, he quickly realized that they could not, it, Serie A is not what it was 20 years ago when it got all the money, all the players, all the attention of the world, that they had to, they had to, to, to go bigger. They had to change the brand. And we saw this changing the jerseys, changing the logos. They he had to go global. They signed Ronaldo partially for that reason. They admitted it wasn't just a sporting decision. So he realized that they had to go outside of Italy. And this, this was always what he wanted. This is nobody surprised that, that he's been so ruthless and so two-faced in, 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 in some of the statements he's made over the past year that they realised that. And Milan and Inter, just like, uh, as, as was mentioned about La Liga, about uh, Barca and Atletico being willing to go along, Milan haven't been in the Champions League for seven years. You know, Inter haven't got, got to the knockout stage since about 2012, I think. So they, they were happy to go to... They're, 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 they're both, both of those clubs, the Milan giants, have had problems with ownership in the last couple of years and, and severe financial issues. They're happy to go along. So it's a, if, if we can step aside from... I'm, at the start, I'm talking about what, how we look at it as fans and how betrayed we feel. And I do, I do think it is a betrayal of the fundamental value of sport, of football, of, of, of everything we believe in. But if we look at it from their perspective as business people, this is the inevitable outcome. This is, and that's why, it's, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I am angry. There's no doubt about that. But I'm also, I knew this was coming, you know, and I think we all did. I'm not, nobody, you didn't have to be like a Nostradamus to predict this. This, this has been coming. What, what, what just, what took us by surprise that it was that it happened over 48 hours. Well, listen, Mark, I'm glad you're here today because I feel like Syria A is almost kind of the most significant player in this in many ways because I guess if you look at the nouveau rich, your Ch- Chelsea's, PSG's, Manchester City's, they don't really have that much of a culture to draw upon. Um, and say, if you look at the leagues, for instance, like Madrid, Barca, Atleti are coming out from a position of strength in terms of the way their clubs are at the moment. Of course, they're not doing as well in Europe as they'd like to, but they're still in a good place in terms of organizationally in their domestic leagues and uh, in their kind of repeated competition in Europe. Similarly, the Premier League are coming out from a position of strength. They're kind of... Well, you could say strength. You could also say pure greed, basically, in terms of trying to 
you know, make a billion out of a million and all that kind of thing. But I think like Italy has this cultural heritage that's so deep and it's rooted both in the fan culture as exhibited in, you know, uh, a season with Verona, for instance, the, t- the Tim Parks uh, book, but also in the actual football, as you mentioned in the 1980s, you know, uh, the Channel 4 Italian football show was the perfect storm of high quality football, international football, combined with everything that goes with football, the whole regalia of it. So do you think that from an Italian perspective, it's almost like we're going to take back what's rightfully ours and this is how we're going to do it? And do you feel like the Italian spirit is almost kind of driving this whole thing because they're the ones who need it the most? Or do you think that's kind of a bit of a, a broad assertion? I mean, it, it, it's, it's true to a degree, and, but I, I do think it's important to separate what um, Agnelli and, and the two Milan clubs are doing from, from the rest of from the rest of the, the, the clubs. However, that being said, um, let's, it, it's hard to feel sympathy for certain people in this. I don't know what other, the other, other, other people think there, but you know, it's, it's hard to, to, to think UEFA are victims here, given they've been complicit and continually bent over backwards to facilitate the richer clubs over the past 10, 20 years. You know, let's, let's not forget, if we were to look at, uh, if we were to go back to August 1998, and a, and a group of uh, businessmen representing media partners in Italy and also representing not only Silvio Berlusconi, but also uh, Leo Kirk um, and Rupert Murdoch, if I remember correctly, turning up unannounced at Leonard Johansson when he was uh, UEFA in, in charge of UEFA to, to say that they wanted a Super League, that they, they had a media put, a company behind it, that they had all these brokers behind it. That's how far back it goes. And, you, you, you know, when inside two years of that, the Champions League had been expanded from about 50, 50, 56 teams, whatever, to 72 teams, something like that. It, it, we had seen that, that, was, that was the power of this Super League threat, which has always, always, always been there. And even if we go all the way back to, I know it's been mentioned already, the Champions League, the Premier League, the, the creation of the Champions League owes everything to the fact that there was uproar that Napoli and Real Madrid met in the, in, in the, in the early stages, in the, I think in 1987, European Cup, because one of the biggest teams from the biggest markets in Europe we're, out, we're guaranteed to be eliminated from the competition. So that was that. that even back then, the power break, power brokers, the businessmen in the game, were saying, well, "We can't allow this to happen. You know, this this shouldn't this, this shouldn't this shouldn't be possible that we can lose our biggest draws, our biggest TV audiences." And that's 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 driving the whole thing. So, I mean, the, in, in, for, that's even that that attitude has even been present in Serie A, like uh, two three seasons ago. The Lazio president Claudio Lotito. Was he he was caught recorded saying that he didn't want uh, the likes of Carpi or Salernitana or Benevento promoted to the Serie A. He was like, "How am I supposed to sell the TV rights for a billion uh, a billion euro if if I have teams that I've never even heard of coming into the league?" So it's hard to feel sorry for some of these clubs as well. Uh, uh, um, Aurelio De Laurentiis of Napoli has wanted to do something similar with Serie A, like a Premier League style breakaway there. So. It's almost as if like the the double crosses have been double crossed here. You know, it, it's hard to feel sorry for Seferin when when he's been complicit in and helping UEFA move further and further away from the, the grassroots of the game or the other leagues and the other smaller leagues in, in Europe. That they they the Champions League is an insult. You know, in terms of its its very name, it's it's a joke. I mean, when I was a kid, it was the European Cup, and it was the European Cup was for champions, and we've moved further and further away from that because more and more people wanted a slice of the pie. So this. This is the common. It, it, I don't think it's essentially an Italian power grab or, or a Spanish power grab, courtesy of Florentino Perez. I think it's a 
it's a power grab by the most powerful people, by the richest people in the game, that they've realized that you mentioned about changing audiences and, 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 and the way the game is consumed as well. And and Nelly is, is acutely aware of that he's been talking about it for ages. He was the one that draw he was the one that first publicly admitted, he, he questioned whether Atalanta uh, one of the best stories in Italian football, I'd argue, in, in world football at the moment, about uh, about them going from like the lower leagues to to to, to compete in the Champions League and outperforming Juve, and Agnelli had the gall, the temerity, the audacity to question whether they deserve to be in the Champions League, and that that that, that was it. At that, at that moment, I kind of thought, this this is where we're going. This is who they're going after. They are going after uh, risk the, the the chance that an underdog could come true and take part of the game. He said. He uh, Agnelli said, "Is it fair that Atalanta should be in the Champions League in the place of uh, of Roma just because Roma had one one bad season?" Well, yes, that's that's the essence of of sporting merit of of, of results based uh, tournaments. So it's it, I, I I don't want to pin it all on Italy whatsoever. I kind of Agnelli is not alone in this. You know, you mentioned Paris, you mentioned the Glazers, we mentioned you know Henry. I, so I remember researching an article about this uh, before Christmas. And, and a guy said to me, you know, off the record about there's certain owners in the in the Premier League that wouldn't be able to pick their captain out of a lineup, and they have and they have absolutely no understanding. They cannot comprehend why that their club, their super club, has the same amount of rights as was put to me as Burnley. This one club, one voting in in terms of the Premier League power was 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 alien to them, they, and they could not get over how the Champions League was not guaranteed. Uh, participation every single season. So this it's just a perfect storm when you have all these influences coming from everywhere. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about where they're from, these owners, or these. it's that, that they're businessmen. It's about the bottom line. And the bottom line is this makes massive financial sense for all of these, all of these clubs. Absolutely. I feel almost as if the pandemic has kind of shown them that they can get away with anything because before the pandemic hit, the idea of us having a year of football behind closed doors with no supporters was unthinkable. But slowly by slowly, you get used to things. And I think that it's human nature to adapt to situations. And what they've realized is that no matter what they want to try and do, no matter how audacious it is, they can get away with it because people get used to situations and they learn how to cope with things and they accept things. And as one person said on Twitter, it's not good against evil, it's money against money. And that's all it is. We're in line with UEFA and FIFA because our interests momentarily align with their interests and their interests are profit making and protecting, protecting their stream of income. So it's quite murky business, to be fair. It's like an episode of succession, you could say. Um, but uh, Sam, you wanted to come in there on that point. Yeah, well, like Mark was saying, I think the scary thing is is not necessarily like what's next, but then what's to come after this? I mean, they get their Super League. Are they then going to start playing their Super League games in Dubai and the US? I mean, it's kind of the the journey of football being taken away from the fans. And I think that's where kind of touching back on what you just said, Alan, with the, the pandemic, I think may has COVID kind of sped up this whole process that the clubs like your Barcelona's and Atletico Madrid who are so desperate for the money now that maybe a year ago they would have needed a bit more convincing and then no fans being in the stadium. That makes it a lot easier to get away with a little bit more. And I think some of the clubs, particularly in the Premier League, are, are reaping the benefits of that. I think kind of the where does this go long term? I mean, this seems like the first step, but what's the long term plan for these clubs and for this football? I mean, it just all seems very kind of almost American kind of NFL style of franchises and taking games abroad, all of that. It just seems like we're on that journey now, which 
not so long ago, didn't seem like football would ever go down that route to that extent. But if you ask me today, I'd say, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if in five years that is the case. Jasmine, I guess it's almost the case of, you know, as Mark alluded to this kind of, you know, fight for almost for football soul. It's like we were sleepwalking into this, you know, bit by bit. We gave them an inch and they took a mile, you could say, in terms of uh, the television rights for the Champions League, for instance, going behind a paywall, all this kind of thing. Uh, do you think that it's almost as if the Cold War has ceased and now we're in outright war? And could that perversely be a good thing in that we have, say, for instance, the German clubs behind the side of against the Super League, you could say? Is the fact that things are out in the open now, that there's no more kind of, you know, sniping behind closed doors, could that actually result in resolution, do you think, from a positive standpoint? Or do you think that these big clubs wouldn't have done what they have done unless they knew for sure that they had the market cornered? Well, I think for sure they know that they've got the market cornered. I think there was a really good tweet today about uh, Juventus' stocks after the Super League announcement that had just completely skyrocketed. So there's definitely a global market for this kind of thing. And it looks like everyone involved with this are pretty sure they can make it work. I think it is a blow that they don't have the likes of Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain because those are two massive teams with star-studded players that's not going to be a part of this. Now you've got like half the teams being the Premier League and a couple of other big giants. Um, So I think that is a blow to them. And I think you're right. I think this is better than the Cold War because what it does... Now, I'm not sure if they would... They put this out in the open to try and gain leverage, as people have said, because they look pretty set on it. And if they're not going to do it, they have suffered these consequences, which that might take place. There's going to be formal meetings with UEFA in the next 24 hours to decide what happens in the Champions with the clubs involved that are also in the Champions League, clubs involved which are also in the Europa League, to throw them out. That is very damaging for just uh, trying to play a game leverage-wise and pushing stuff like Champions League for uh, reformation through. I mean, they've said that they're going to do this Champions League reformation in 2024, but... Does this mean they've tried to push through that and now they're going to get penalised for this year completely? Or what? It would, it would it have been all for nothing. It, can they wait until 2024 to do this? Are they actually going to do it? Um, so, yeah, I think it's, to be fair, a lot of UEFA have been calling for this. They've, in the last few years, always keep on saying, how about a, like a Super League? And I think most people just kind of laughed it off. I think some of the bigger clubs wanted it, but yeah, it's just all very weird. Um, I think the bigger clubs wanted that kind of Super League and, you know, they saw a market for it and went, okay, let's do it because no one else is. But the only thing, it's fronted by JP Morgan money with JP Morgan um, ex-associates with loads of American chairmen and, and Perez. Um, and, yeah, it's just 
I, I don't know if this has been done for leverage and they've just shot themselves in the foot completely or they're actually going to go on and do this and probably be the laughing stock of Europe but pick up absolutely massive amounts of global market. Um, so it's a hard one to say if it's going to come off better or worse. I think if the, what happens if they don't get Dortmund, PSG and Bayern Munich? And they want 15 teams or invite three extra clubs to be founding fathers or whatever they're calling themselves. Like, then what? Like, because if, if, especially if UEFA go and say, okay, your players can't play in World Cups and Euros. Like, I know we talk about some players being money grabbers, but there are going to be a lot of players who make a, a nice amount of money and also want to be on the biggest stage because they also want to be the best. There is a class of player, a group of players who also want to be the best at everything. And it's not all just about money. What happens to those players? Now, this is the interesting thing. They've got two leagues that's going to not be disrupted where they'll play like normal. You've got PSG. They'll all flock to the German leagues and French leagues. And then suddenly we've got lucrative leagues where people would usually call them farmers' leagues. Will they then also start to trickle down? Um, it depends if the clubs have the finances too. But I think some of those players won't mind taking pay cuts just to make sure they get on bigger stages. We're joined by Jonathan Fidugba from London. Uh, Jonathan, how are things with you? Evening, guys. Yeah, I've had a pretty busy day, as you can imagine. Uh, apologies for, for coming in a little bit, a bit late on this one. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. We're just discussing, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, the European Super League. Um, I don't think you've taken it as Manchester United, uh, someone who's sympathetic to Manchester United, you could say. Uh, you were quite strong in the message you were putting out on social media in the last maybe you know 18 hours or so since the news broke. Uh, what's your kind of primary feeling off the back of the Super League news? Uh, yeah, sympathetic to Manchester United. It's a nice, nice description and introduction. I think my sympathies have, have gone quite drastically in the last few week, months, weeks, could even argue years, uh, since the takeover from the, from the Glazers. Um, yeah, it, in summary, I, I'm not sure if I'm repeating probably maybe what's already been said, but I'm, I'm sure um, some other guests on here um, with, with, with great insights, which I've seen on social media as well. But as far as I, I'm concerned, I consider this to be um, nothing short of a heist on European football. I think it's a coup. Um, it's been coming for quite a long time, I think, I think you can argue. And it's always been inevitable, really. I think the Super League has always been inevitable in some way, shape, or form. But I think it's kind of the the way it's been handled is 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 going to anger a lot of people. Let's put it that way. Um, even down to the announcement, the timing of the announcement at sort of midnight European time, um, that really gives an insight into where this is going. I look at this as essentially taking legacy clubs in European football and taking them off to new markets. Um, it shows basically the, the considerations of these clubs for 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 the for the countries in which they're based to announce it at that time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's difficult to sort of like you know where do I begin to be honest? Uh, it's it's I th there's a saying that obviously greed greed creates laziness, and and I think really that's what what we're seeing here. This is, this is really a reaction to a bunch of clubs who really have have been poorly run for, for quite a number of years and it's essentially saying we, we don't really want to compete 
in these leagues and have to have the ignominy of having to qualify for for European football, um, the ignominy of having to compete with clubs like Leicester or Atalanta. Um, there's no irony lost on me that the fact that Atalanta beat Juventus the night this was announced. I think that sums it all up um, from the point of view of obviously Andrea Agnelli, who's who's really masterminded this and, and resigned from the um, ECA, which he leads, uh, you know, the same night. So as I say, this is really a heist. And I, I think really it's, it's a reaction to growing competition from smart clubs like, like I say, like I say, like like Leicester, like Atalanta, like those clubs who are, who are doing things the right way, who have been managing their finances in the right way, have been managing their recruitment in intelligent ways and developing organically year after year. And this is really, like I say, um, a bunch of clubs who, who have no real innovation, have no real way of reacting to that, the, the challenges of, of that, and have decided that, we, you know what, we don't really need this hassle of having to qualify for Europe. We don't really need this hassle of having to you know, prove ourselves year in, year out. So we're going to take our, 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 our clubs and move somewhere else. So, yeah, I think you know, there's many, many strands to it, which I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss and I'm sure you've been discussing as well you look at sort of the mastermind behind it in terms of the chairman of this will be Real Madrid. And I just find it very strange that the, the probably the most historic club in, in European football has kind of decided to kick down the competition that they're, that they're so strongly associated with. So from that point of view, you know, I find it quite strange. Um, and, uh, you know, I think to summarize my feelings, you know, as I said, the Super League is always inevitable. This is always going to come. This is a revenue play. The clubs want more revenue. They want more money for their competi- their participation. That was always the end goal of investors. Um, there's been warning signs since 2005, the Glazer takeover, which haven't been listened to. They weren't listened to by the governments. They weren't listened to by the Premier League. They've almost invited it with their big six marketing, which is a nonsense when you look at the actual clubs in their league positions over the last sort of you know few years. So... Really, this is this is like I say, it's it's a legacy play to sort of take these clubs and, and move them elsewhere. And I think that what really is is the affront here is the idea of these founding members who who have no real European history. I mean, two of the clubs have never won, or no, I think three or four even of the clubs have never even won the European Cup in their history. Um, so for them to sort of call themselves founding members is absolutely laughable in my opinion, uh, and and it's anti-competitive. And I think that's where fans will really have a real problem with it in the sense that. You know, Spurs could be in the European European Super League for the next five years and lose every single game, and it will have no repercussions whatsoever. It won't matter. They'll still be involved. They'll still qualify. They'll still get revenue. So, so what is this? You know, like how many times do you want to watch Spurs get beaten by Real Madrid and finish bottom of the Super League before before you get bored? So, I think there's elements of this that they haven't really thought through. I think there's 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 parts of it that I, I can't see working. Um, but I do think that it's, it's a power play to, to bring about you know, um, greater power and greater revenue for, the, for those clubs. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. And, and just one final point, sorry, if I, if I may. Um, I think it's a done thing. I don't know if it's been discussed about whether or not this will still go ahead. But I think the fact that Spurs have sacked Jose Mourinho today, I think that really hints that this is this is a done a done thing. I don't think they had the finances to do that, um, to be able to release him from his contract in the normal COVID situation. So my gut feeling is the Super League is, is signed, sealed, delivered. I think this will happen. Um, and I think that's basically given Spurs the power to sack Jose Mourinho and bring in Ryan Mason, which which really hints at where we're going with all of this. You know, why why have a why have a strong manager when ultimately you can compete and have a, a manager with the FA Level One badge? To be honest, and it won't matter because you will qualify regardless. So, yeah, it's, a, it's I think it's a sad day for those twelve clubs. To be honest, the fans of those twelve clubs, um, but to in, in a certain respect, maybe there's an inevitability about it. The dirty dozen, as the moniker has been coined. Um, and yeah, it's a good point that 
Uh, Jose Mourinho was sacked today. A uh, favourite of John, especially. Love talking about Jose Mourinho in this pod. Uh, Lionel Messi put in a astonishing performance in the Copa del Rey on Saturday evening. So lots of big t- points to talk about, but not one was was broached so far 40 minutes into this recording, which is uh, something else. But Jasmine, you wanted to come in there on that point. Yeah, um, it's just a little bit on the club's finances, um, the European Super League clubs. Anyone who is more interested in the financial side of football, um, you should give Swiss Ramble on Twitter a follow. He basically put up um, the operating profit or loss of um, the European Super League clubs of 2019-20 and between them they lost a one point, around 1.2 billion that was before player sales um so basically Milan was the most the, the biggest loser basically uh Liverpool hadn't published their accounts yet so there's not really any kind of idea how much they lost in the past year now this is a year that only had um three months were impacted really by COVID um on terms of operating costs, but we had um, uh, Milan with 177 million. They lost uh, Juventus 168, Manchester City 160, Barcelona 152, Inter 117. A good like loads of these clubs in three digit losses, and then you've got Arsenal, Real Madrid, Atletico all around 8 million, Tottenham Hotspur 40 million, and Manchester United 13 million. Now. That's a lot of money to be operating at a loss. And these aren't teams that some of them are, I would admit, again, as an Arsenal fan, but we haven't really had European successes. Um, and it's, it is that kind of uncompetitive playing field, as John Jonathan said. And it's just, this is their way of going, right, we've, <laughs> I've thought of it as like, Imagine going to the supermarket, choosing between um, branded ibuprofen and un- the supermarket ibuprofen and then just picking the more expensive one every time in buying that revenue. Even though it's the same kind of product, you just go for the names and this is what it feels like. There are some interesting bits about it as well. There's one thing that hasn't really been picked up is that the um, ESL basically have a cap of... of revenues permitted to be spent on salaries and transfers. So basically like a um, salary cap on it as well. So basically locks in all of this revenue and the same, like same kind of, like same kind of field. So if anyone ever did come up into this European Super League, if they were a bit, um, it didn't make as much the other clubs, they would just be uncompetitive as well. Um, And it's just, I, I just had a feeling as well. If any, if we pretty much think this is a done deal. Um, I don't think you would risk as much as you would for nothing, as I said before. But what happens to coaches who don't particularly agree to this? That's what I'm thinking because we know that players won't be able to play, and we're guessing they'll either move or go for the money. But coaches is a weird one because. They probably tried their very hardest to get into like the Europa, uh, Europa League semi-finals, the Champions League semi-finals, and they're just going to get turned out. Shouldn't that create some sort of anger for these coaches? Because that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of fundamentally a battle, like as we mentioned before, a battle for the soul of football in terms of 
you know, will coaches who would oppose this move perhaps, would their professional ambition override their kind of sentiment? Do you know? I mean, there's talk of fans becoming legacy fans with clubs looking for new supporters to kind of grow their base more and kind of hoover up maybe casual supporters. Um, like it's really kind of unfathomable. And if you, as you mentioned, if UEFA do move to expel United and Arsenal from the Europa League and uh, Real Madrid, Chelsea and Man City from the Champions League semi-final stages, like we're really in uncharted waters. I mean, it's kind of almost like a different dimension to think about really like, but I mean, for you, John, like what do you think the future holds this summer holds? I mean, like as things stand, if they proceed as they're going, then, you know, the Spain squad will be missing half of its players. So will every top squad in, in the European game. I mean, like what's the next few months going to look like? Well, there's a lot of saber rattling right now from UEFA and like constituent bodies of UEFA, like the Spanish Football Association, etc., talking like threatening to maybe withhold certain players from national selection. But I wonder would they be embroiled in controversy with TV companies about wanting to have like the best available players play? Because obviously, you know, the better the players are, they feel like the higher the ratings are, and I think that's really the hand that controls the whip, unfortunately. So. I think there might be a lot of grandstanding from both sides and it's it's very difficult to see, you know, how it turns out. I can't imagine, you know, the players are too happy with the with it the way it is, especially because if you meant like you mentioned there was going to be a salary cap, well then there might be X amount more money coming into the pool, but then they mightn't necessarily be remunerated with that. They might be on more or less the same money despite the fact that without the players like the game, you know, it is nothing as such. So I don't think the players would be particularly happy with it if if it were to transpire like that. And uh, I think you mentioned, or Jasmine mentioned managers, Jurgen Klopp has gone on the record to say he thought it was a terrible idea in 2019. Now, whether he's changed his mind or not is, you know, remains to be seen. But I think he, he, he would probably speak for a lot of managers in that instance because there's so much upheaval and we don't know whether it's going to work properly even. Like, there's no guarantee like that this is going to be a good product or like people will wholly just put their complete backing into it. Fans, like I could see a lot of fans and Mark voiced this earlier saying that Tottenham, United and Liverpool fan groups have all like shown their outrage so far. So I could see a lot of fans potentially going down the road of uh, boycotting it. And then then the, maybe the ones that remain, it certainly won't have the same atmosphere. So then the product won't be the same. And then eventually if it gets very neutered and gentrified, Will will TV companies be as keen to buy those rights when it doesn't have that indelible feature of of football culture, which is the proper proper fandom? So, uh, so much of it remains to be seen. But I couldn't envision too many uh, players or coaches being uh, being happy with it so far. Well, I guess Mark, it's almost as if you know, it's maybe not a coincidence that in the same month, you know, Kevin De Bruyne kind of quite famously renegotiated his contract with the use of statistical company uh, kind of really taking control of the whole negotiation process and earning a 30% wage increase on what was already a hefty salary. I think he's earning in the region of 455,000 euros uh, per year um, now. Um, and then also you have the negotiations going on with Lionel Messi in Barcelona, uh, with Sergio Ramos in Real Madrid, uh, with Neymar and Kylian Mbappe with PSG. And what you have, maybe not in the Sergio Ramos case, but in the other cases, 
a situation where the player holds all the power. And do you think that maybe the illusion in football is that the fans hold all the power? But what's been happening in the last decade or so, well, actually maybe since the Bosman ruling came in, has been that the, the players have been holding the power and they've been making the money. Uh, and do you think that the men in the suits now, your Agnelli's, your Florentino Perez, who coincidentally is speaking in El Chiringuito this evening, which is quite a remarkable thing in Spain, um, one of the most popular radio programs in Spain, he's going to be speaking on it tonight live, which is a, a big deal, to be honest with you. And Alan, you're missing the point that El Chiringuito is just total trash as well. Tabloid, television. Yeah, imagine Big Brother, but talking about Real Madrid nonstop. Yeah, because in Spain, it's more like tabloid newspapers aren't really a thing. It's more tabloid television in both celebrity and sports. So, yeah, that's basically a good example of that. But just, Mark, do you feel like, you know, is this a case of the men in suits taking back power from the players and kind of really asserting their dominance in the game? Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good point. And, and Jasmine touched on it as well as John as well. Um, that it, it, it is all about money at the moment. And if you, no matter who, what financial expert you talk to, that, that follows or, or covers football, whether that's here in Italy or in, in England, you know, someone like Kieran Maguire as well. Um, and Jasmine is correct. Swiss Ramble is a, is a great one. Kieran Maguire is another fantastic one for the price of football. Uh, Josh Robinson as well. Wall Street Journal wrote a great book on, on the Premier League. Um, you talk to these guys and, and um, or, even, or, or even Deloitte, you look at the Deloitte Football Money League and they do great coverage and great analysis of it. And you talk to people who work work in, the, in in this area of football, and they'll all tell you that the, the the basic model of football, which is a cash industry, is fundamentally flawed in that it's 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 all based uh, all of the money is going on wages, and that is that is the key area. And I think J- Jasmine raising that point about that there is it seems there's going to be a specification or a rule within this in the Super League for for a, a certain percentage to go a salary cap essentially for for, for a better word for want of a better word. Um, is 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 usually significant, I think, and that's them trying to take control of 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 expenses and redress the balance. Because you're right, they have to, over, since the Bosman ruling, since since the explosion of football, the TV money, so much of the, so much of their income. Look at the situation at Barcelona. Um, Sam would correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they're over more than seventy percent of their income, which was record breaking at the time, was going on player wages. Which was uh, uh, against the, what, what Liga, according to Javier Tabas, what, what they were recommend, recommending, advising clubs, was that it should be seventy percent or under. You know, and and Barcelona were in contravention of that, and Bartomeu was saying, no, 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 it's okay. We're we're a special case. We can do this. And then the pandemic uh, it, it obliterated it. And th- th- that's another thing that I suppose it's, it's, it, which, which we should stress. It has accelerated things. The pandemic. The pandemic didn't cause all these problems. And there's even an a, a acknowledgement in, in some of the Super League stuff that we're seeing uh, that's being leaked on their side is that they've acknowledged that they had problems before. And Agnelli in particular has been pushing for this for years and years and years. And look at even just on, on that's gone on, on, on in Agnelli's situation at Juve. They have a massive problem there with Cristiano Ronaldo in the amount of uh, that he, they're paying him 31 million a year in wages. He's cost them about 85 million in total. When you take you know, every factor into the equation, they, they, it's, it's unsustainable and it's, it's prevented them from strengthening the squad in other areas. And that's, that's where this desperation, that's where this has, has come from to, to embrace the Super League. It's because these clubs are, have been so badly run and have bended and, and, and committed so much money to, to wages, player wages and, and superstar signings and stuff like that, that they're, that they're now there to be shot at, that they have massive weaknesses in their squad. Not all of them 
have a limitless amount of money. Not all of them can go out and, and sign, you know, four or five, uh, 50 million fullbacks and have a squad that just you can rotate every week and change position. Juve don't have that because, as I said earlier, they, they, they weren't able. Agnelli made the point, interestingly. He said, we've experienced so much growth since I took over, but Juve's revenue now is on the same level as Real Madrid in 2010 when I first came to power. And so there was an envy there. There was an envy there against uh, Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid. There was an envy of the Premier League in particular. Several people have said that to me that I've spoken to in the financial sector, saying that the, the Premier League explosion and the TV rights and the money caused so much jealousy across Europe that they, they wanted in. Because the Italians feel, again, going back to it just from an Italian perspective, they feel like they've missed it. They missed the party here. They were the top dogs uh, and spending huge amounts of money all the way up until, what, early 2000, 2001, and then all of a sudden, everything everything collapsed, um, and, and and they had failed to look after the product. And so I, I think it was uh, Jonathan said mentioned about uh, greed creating laziness. Well, the, the Italians are the, are the perfect example of that. So that again would tie into the, what you were um, mentioning earlier on about the, the the Italian desire to 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 become major players again. So that, that's where that, that's where it's coming from on their part. And and wages fundamentally are, have to be addressed. And my hope. Is that when we're looking at this, that, that when we, we amidst all this anger and fury amongst the fans and and and, and even governments we're seeing now, even the, the president, uh, the prime minister over here in Italy, you know, for this week it'll probably be a different prime minister next week, uh, has 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 come out in support saying that they're they're against the Super League, they they will back Serie A. So my hope is that I don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe you could you'd be a bit unrealistic that we should we need to look at the whole system because it's it's failing so many so many clubs and so many. So many people, it's failing the fans fundamentally. But if you look at, again, we shouldn't just go, oh, the Champions League, uh, leave it as it is, or let UEFA make their changes. Because they, they, they've contributed to, to, to this imbalance over the last 10 years. The, the biggest distortive factor in, in European football is money that comes from Champions League and Euro, Europa League participation. Over the last 10 years, there's been a massive, massive divergence. And it's all gone to the same clubs. I think European leagues did a study of this uh, last year, maybe the year before last, and they looked back at the last decade and they were, they were pointing out that the top three clubs in each of the big five European leagues were, were picking up 85% of the revenue that that country was receiving during the, the, the preceding Champions League cycle. So all of the money essentially is going to a decreasing number of clubs. And then all these solidarity pay- payments, you know, they increased, I think on the last cycle, they increased by 20%. But the but the, 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 the payments from participation for the clubs that are actually in the tournament, they increased by 50%. So it, it was only going in one direction and it was only going to get worse. And it only will get worse under even UEFA's proposals for the Champions League. So there's, there's something structurally, fundamentally wrong here with football. There's a systemic issue. And the fact that I'm sure maybe you'll all agree or maybe disagree, the fact that we're on the same side, I think as John touched on earlier, the fact that we're on the same side of UEFA at the moment, should should tell us a lot that we're looking maybe to FIFA to to intervene here is 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 staggering because these guys are running uh, corrupt institutions that have been undermining football for 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 the for decades. So if they're the good guys now, then 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 we're really, maybe we need to look at tearing down the whole system. Well, I guess the case of Barcelona, as you mentioned, that kind of remarkable wage to turnover ratio was because they actually became too successful for their own good in many ways and that they had players like Gerard Pique, Sergio Roberto, Jordi Alba, like excluding the kind of, you know, the cracks of like Lionel Messi, Luis Suarez, Neymar, 
guys who became so successful and won so much that they held more power than the people that were negotiating with them in the club. Um, so they were in a position to kind of demand more and more wages and they kept driving up the kind of base salaries and then new signings coming in further disrupted that um, and just became kind of a remarkable situation. And the same thing has almost happened in wider European football, you could say, in that it's become so successful. It's gone to their heads in many ways and what they believe they can do and what they conceive that their capabilities are. But Jasmine, for you, what do you think the path looks like going forward? How do you see the summer panning out? How do you see next season beginning potentially? I have honestly no idea. <laughs> I, I think we've all like seen reforms before. We've seen changes, but we've never seen something that has um, riled the one of the biggest um, football associations up to a point where they want the biggest clubs banned from everything. So I'm laughing, but that's because I don't, my brain doesn't know how to quite interpret the information of the last like three days. Um, I think it might be done. I think if that's the case and it's European football or the absolute time, I don't understand how they're going to structure it in an already congested like fixture list. That's another thing. Um, but I do think UEFA and FIFA will... I'm not sure about FIFA, but UEFA is definitely taking a hard stance of it. But I don't know if they completely disagree with the whole thing. Um, some intuitions have been a little bit lenient on their words towards the European Super League. I think UEFA might just be really, really angry because... Um, of what Agnelli did to Chevrolet. Um, to be honest, it's some Game of Thrones type stuff, which I I have to, in the whole chaos of everything, I have to admire. Um, um, but I can just see, yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen to the link. I mean, a lot of people will, will be saying, oh, we'll just chuck them out of the Premier League. Unfortunately, that makes the Premier League a lot less viable in terms of money. People watch the big teams. That's why there's such a market for this European Super League. Um, so it's not as easy as throwing them out as much as I would love that. If something gives me an excuse to finally fight, feel the sweet release of Arsenal's grip on me, that would be fantastic. <laughs> well, Sam, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, I kind of just say, adding to what Jasmine said, and imagine that kind of we don't see leagues chucking these teams out, say that the teams do stay in the Premier League, they do stay in La Liga, Serie A. But I mean, what is it really going to be like if they're playing all of these fixtures in midweek and earning so much money to do it, then they're not going to have their first team players playing at the weekend. And so what's better? Is it almost in a way better to not have Manchester United in the Premier League than to have Manchester United playing the under-23s against Burnley? I mean, it just seems so unsustainable long-term with any kind of solution, chucking them out, keeping them there. And then even if Man United do stay in the Premier League, for example, then with the current season, I mean, we've all seen the impacts of COVID playing so many fixtures and kind of the impact it's had on the players and the number of injuries that clubs have had. I mean, how are they going to handle that? They're just going to spend more money to make their squads even bigger. I mean, there's just so many questions about how it could all be handled 
even if the Super League did get their way and they could stay in every domestic competition and play their Super League at the same time just to see how they would plan to make that work without basically insulting the domestic competitions and, and playing the reserves. It's truly remarkable, especially given that the UEFA Conference League is supposed to be coming into play next season. It's just like Jonathan mentioned, it's a coup. Do you know, it really is. It's striking at the heart of football. But uh, John, you want to come in there? I just had like a thought about how it would impact potentially football academies. So like hypothetically, there mightn't be homegrown quotas in the new uh, European Super League. So would that mean that, for example, Liverpool, United, Chelsea, Man City would play perhaps like uh, they would perhaps play like second teams in uh, in the Premier League? And then the, the kind of end result of that is that like the other opposition are playing against worse teams. So then the standard drops. So then players that would have been very talented mightn't have the requisite like experience of playing top quality players and they wouldn't reach their potential and then that's a vicious cycle that impacts national teams um so and then it would nearly be a thing where it would become like a farmers league or a farm league how you would have in american sports so that in itself would probably make the Premier League unviable and then that would, you know, would have a massive impact. And I think that we've seen in COVID that would impact in inverted commas normal people as well in, in terms of jobs. We saw how many staff from clubs either got laid off or put on furlough during this whole thing. So, I mean, it's like the law of unattended consequences. Like this, this big swoop from the big clubs could like impact football all the way down completely way down and for the negative unfortunately so yeah so i guess maybe we can get a move towards uh closing thoughts now guys i mean we're just over the hour mark yeah. like we've all kind of had a bit of a, a bit of a rant kind of exercise some demons kind of thought things through in our heads but like i'm personally no closer to mental clarity than i was at you know before seven o'clock this evening um but like, what's your kind of closing remarks, Mark? I mean, like, do you think, like, to use an impolite term, have they fucked it? Are we are we cooked? Are we done and dusted? Like, what's the story? Like, how do we move forward from this? I mean, that's the big question at the moment because right now it looks like all-out war. It looks like a civil war. It looks, like, yeah, it looks like a battle, as you said earlier on, for for football soul. Um, and I, it looks like it's going to get ugly. It looks like the suit. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the parts of the idea sound quite stupid to me. You know, the the fifteen uh, teams in it guaranteed five qualifiers, as if you know they'll extend an invite to five lucky entrants every year in some sort of like oh, um, that they, they should be grateful. You know, they, they'll be allowed to sit at the top table and dine with the with the, the fat cats. You know, uh, once a year, and they should be grateful for that. So I don't know how you know people they expect people to swallow that. I. They, they they talk about solidarity like Perez and Yelly like and that they're doing this for the fans and it, it's just it's just ridiculous I, I I don't know like how stupid do they think we are but at the end of the day they they've done their research here and Yelly is is is, is not a stupid man as I mentioned earlier on he's a very very successful businessman and a very very successful president of of Juventus so they've clearly done their research he talks all the time about uh, the fans of the future and the evolution of the way in which people and young people in particular consume the game today um, he's mentioned stuff like offering tv subscriptions or online subscriptions to watch the end of matches because that's the most important relevant part and that's the part that that people are most interested in he talks about uh some people watch football for the fear of missing out so that might seem alien to the likes of us but maybe maybe there is that's the audience that's going to replace the fans 
the legacy fans, um, as you referred to earlier on, that will refuse to go to games, that will boycott their clubs now. Maybe they'll just be replaced. Maybe they've, they've factored all this into the equation. I'm sure they'll have, they've, uh, they've researched the legal routes. I spoke to a guy with a legal background earlier on, and he says, I don't see how it can be stopped. So it looks like a done deal, but unless it may, I, I, again, I go back to it, unless there's some sort of united front among every other major stakeholder, I think we're, we're going to edge towards it. It's, it. It will happen. And, and again, it's been coming for years and years and years, and you can go all the way back to the 80s or 1992, Champions League, uh, Premier League. It's always been there. It's just, it's, it's finally realised. And, and, and now it's about, ultimately it's about action. It's not about words. It's about what UEFA do. It's about what the fans do. It's about what governments do. It's about what the local leagues do. So until we know, until we know what they, what they intend to, how they intend to react to this, as John called it, an existential threat, we, 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 we can't predict, we can't know what, with any great certainty what's going to happen. But they are under attack, make no, no mistake about it. The, 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 the existence of many clubs is, is, is at stake here. And, and the very way in which we view football and how our love of football is, is, is on the line here because I, I think this is going to take it into territory. As you said, uncharted territory, but it's going to take it to places that, that, that we won't like whatsoever in any way, shape or form. I was chatting to someone today about this and we're kind of both voicing our mutual disapproval much like we all have today, but we're kind of realizing that, you know, our opinions don't matter. Like this move isn't happening for us. It's happening for the, the consumers and, you know, in the Far East and in Indonesia and China and Japan, you know, in Africa, like countries that don't consume football the way we do. They, they live it differently. They follow players rather than teams in many cases, you know. Um, and it's just basically like almost, you know, if you look at football from a linear process, like the change in football between 1900 to 1950 to 2000, I guess it almost makes sense in one way that by 2050, it's a different sport completely. And, and it, who knows how far away we are from a, you know, 32 team, uh, you know, the, the, the NFL has 32 teams, 32 franchises, a closed system. Who knows how far away we are from a totally closed system? You know I mean? Like, step by step that could be the plan i mean gianni infantino has already supported and been vocal in the support of an african super league so i mean you know it's not like they're completely anal to this kind of thinking and i, I mean from an organization's perspective it does almost make sense for fifa to have these kind of you know regionalized leagues where all the resources are devoted to solely the big clubs i mean it removes the essence of what we love football for the kind of underdog story the community the cultural ties the history but, you know, they're looking at things differently and they have the arrogance and self-belief that they can be the ones to change this and completely revolutionise the sport and take it to the next level. Alan, Alan, sorry, could I just make one last point or just even one last question to you to you, and to, to Jasmine and to, to Sam and, and Jonathan or John. Um, my question is, and something I've been wrestling with over the past 24 hours, you mentioned, I, I think I was tweeting at one o'clock last night because we were all probably watching it and pro- all probably absorbed in what was happening and, and to a certain degree stunned even though we knew this was always a possibility my question and the thing i've been asking myself today is how complicit are we all in this and i and, and i mean that both as as a from as journalists and as as supporters because ultimately at the end of the day i presume we're all football fans and we all have been since we were small since we probably first fell in love with the game on in the streets or on the football field or watching our you know heroes our childhood heroes on tv but football has been gone in a negative way and I'm not saying it was always it was always perfect. We know that from you can go all the way back and how players were treated and how they were 
you know, owned by the by companies, you know, effectively and told what to do and this and that, and they, they weren't uh, adequately remunerated for, for their skills and all this. So, so we can go, it's always been problems. But football, in my opinion, has been going in this way for a long, long time. And there are so many problems as well that are not only allowed or tolerated by the governing bodies. And we mentioned, I've mentioned UEFA and FIFA a couple of times, but they've, if anything, they've been facilitated by them. And I, I feel like we've, we've let this, we have to look at ourselves as a way and, and go, have we allowed this to happen as well? Have we not stood up before? We could look at issues like um, sexism in football. We could look at it. I could look at it in, in. I look at it myself, and I think of you know sexism in the in the industry in which I work, or racism in the industry in which I work. Racism then at the stadium. Racism uh, on a football on a local football field. Uh, sexism on a football field. There there are massive issues, even on top of the the corruption that we have seen at FIFA and UEFA, and these guys are trying to take moral stands. And, and, and accuse the Super League of, 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 you know, trying to hurt the game. And they've been hurting the game for 20, 30, 40 years. You know, just, it, we're, we're looking forward next year to a World Cup in Qatar. You know, so we're all up in arms about this. And I'm kind of thinking, should we have been, did we allow this to happen? This, this, is, this, is, this is the inevitable conclusion of our complicity or our tolerance or our silence on so many issues. There's so many problems in the game today that these, these, these organizations haven't addressed, and, it, and, and this to me is just an, an inevitable conclusion, the inevitable result of this mismanagement of the game. The, the, the pursuit of money has become what it's all about, and we've allowed various other issues. I don't want to make it such a broad thing, but I've been talking three or four different shows today, and so much of this is all connected. The, 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 the governance of football has been an abject failure for years and years and years, and I wonder do we have to accept our role in this? You know, it makes me think of... of uh, I'm saying it earlier on, it makes me think of V for Vendetta. And, you know, there are certain people who are more responsible for this, this mess that we find ourselves in. This, you know, the, the, we don't want to be cliched about it, but the beautiful football is, is, is really, really ugly. And what, what, what role have we played in this? Why, 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 aren't, why, why, why have UEFA, why have FIFA never taken issues, incidents of racism on the football field seriously? You know, there's, there's, there's so many... So many problems, they've allowed this to go and check. We look at the owners of these football clubs as well, and they've been exposed now for what they are, which is all they, they're in it, business, pure businessmen. It's, it's, it's a greedy power grab. It's a coup, as someone said earlier on. And, and, and we've kind of stood by and allowed this because our team has bought a, a certain player. Or we, I, I look at it as a, as, a, as a fellow who grew up in Dublin, even uh, uh, looking enough to wear the, the, the Shamrock Rovers <laughs> shirt a couple of times. And... Look at how much money have I invested in overseas on trips to go and see super clubs overseas that I could that I should have invested in my local team. And I sit there as an Irishman, a long-suffering Ireland fan, and wonder why my national team is so terrible. Because I never I never put any money towards uh, towards my local league, towards my local clubs. I put them towards super clubs. I, I, you know, you pay the, the Sky subscription. You pay the, the BT Sports subscription. You pay the Dazon subscription. So I just... I feel like there's a, there's a hope. I, what I'm what I'm trying to say is I hope there's a reckoning, and not just about the Super League, but about the whole sport itself and how we consume it and how we interact with it and and where our priorities lie. And I say that as a journalist, but fundamentally as a football fan. And that's that's what I'd like to even put to you guys. Like, I mean, what what do you feel we should do now? What what has to happen here? Because I'm I, I'm I'm sick and tired of defending football because it's indefensible. And this latest 
news cycle, this lad, the, the events of the last 24 hours have proven that to me beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this game is rotten, rotten to the core and something has to be done. I guess like as the saying goes, you know, the only thing for necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to kind of, you know, stand back and do nothing. And that's definitely true. I mean, like, instead of attracting, kind of, instead of facing up to problems head on, we've kind of been complacent in drinking the Kool-Aid and enjoying the drama, it, you know, but like it's almost a running joke on Twitter about, you know, the Gazprom is bringing us this and that. But like behind those jokes are kind of serious notes. I mean, you know, like, like Jasmine, what's your take on what Mark just said there? How, how do you feel about that? Um, I think there are levels of people who should feel complacent. I think I've said from day one, I'm, from an Arsenal fan perspective, um, I was lucky enough to see the evil side of Stan Kroenke before he had come to Arsenal. And ever since he, uh, Usmanov, who was the other, the other evil in this case, sell his shares to Stan Kroenke. I didn't like it. I didn't want it. I spoke out about it, but I do not have the platform I had now. Um, and I'm probably lucky enough. You know, this will sound really, really weird. I'm lucky enough to come from a working class background who didn't have the money to have like loads of peers on Twitter, like have season tickets to Arsenal, um, went to games every week. I didn't come from that background. I watched on TV, free to air TV. We didn't have Sky. We listened to the radio, all of that. So I, I feel quite um, uncomplacent in this. Okay, I buy a few shirts nowadays, um, but everyone knows that I get them from um, DHgate, some of them. So I don't hardly even give money that way. Um, so I, I don't feel that complacent. I've normally been on top of these kind of issues before, uh, especially as a mixed race women, woman in the industry. Um, so it, it's just people have been outlining these bad, the, these bad things for so long and... You know, there, there's a level of complicity, but even if you spoke out against it, it, it's always money rules. It's always money rules all. And I think that it's so high up, especially in English football with governing bodies and actual, actual parliament. And it's and this is why I prefer German football um, and the 50 plus one rule and how it's governed. Sure, it has its disadvantages, but... At the end of the day, when they vote 15 plus one in, and I know there's exceptions and whatever, but we haven't had a case here like you do in the UK with the Saudi owns. I know there's Qatari money, but it's it, it's it's just not the same kind of bad in like, that we're getting right now. If, if we look at AC Milan's owners, if we look at Chelsea's owners, it's just not the same. Being funded and being owned, okay, they're both not great, but there's just so much to quickly unravel like it has in the Premier League compared to here. Jonathan, what are your kind of closing thoughts, do you feel? Yeah, I mean, this pretty much agree with what everybody else has said, to be honest. Um, I mean, I mean, my, my my concluding thoughts in terms of trying to look at this rationally and dispassionately is this will happen. Um, it's always 
going to be the end goal of these owners and, and this foreign investment, um, you know, and I know there can be strands of xenophobia when people kind of talk about it from in that point of view. And I wouldn't want to delve into that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, these are hard those businessmen. They've bought these, they haven't bought these clubs to win trophies or to sort of, you know, serve the fans. They've bought these clubs to serve themselves. And, and that's the reality of the situation. <clears throat> the time for checks and balances was 15 years ago when the Glazers originally bought out the most successful, profitable club in English football and plunged them into 500 million pounds of debt and took 70 million pounds in interest payments per season and dividends. So it's almost like we're kind of talking after the horse, horse has bolted, really. I, I think this idea that we, we live in this utopia and, and um, you know, football can kind of shape, we can all hold hands and, and, and serve the fans is, is unrealistic. <clears throat> the, the reality of it is, and I sort of mentioned this on Twitter, that there, there's more money in fans that are not in Europe. So that is what these um, businessmen are looking at, to be honest. And, and that's really where this will play out and this will go. Um, a closed shop with no qualification suits them. They have no reason for innovation. There's no need for, um, you know, kind of sensible decisions or clever development. It's a closed shop where they have guaranteed income every season. They will cater to fans in new continents, you know, like a few others have mentioned and, and, and new, new countries um, who have maybe more spending power in that sense and, 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 I think this there is a geopolitical element to this in the sense that you know there's there's a lot of research and studies to show that there is a decline in the value and marketing power of of, of Europe and kind of new money moving towards the Middle East as, as has been mentioned um, Africa as well <clears throat> new middle classes in Africa for example uh, and Asia as well so really this is just hard nosed business reality that match going fans aren't that important anymore to, to the to the bottom line. Um, the, the more appealing thing for the JP Morgans of this world will be maybe a, a Disney plus streaming service or an Amazon streaming service to, to stream these games in perpetuity. And I think that, that's ultimately where this is probably going to lead. And uh, I know there's talk that this could, you know, we, we can stop this and that kind of thing. I, I wonder how, because at the end of the day, they, they own these clubs. If, if, if it get, if push comes to shove that they, they can take these clubs and move them if they need. So I, I'm wondering how, how this plays out to be honest um but yeah it's it's a shame i think you know for like i say for fans um, in the way in the way it's done um potentially there could be tweaks in just making it slightly more competitive with, with a relegation process but but ultimately the, the the driving force behind this is is these clubs want more money and you know the chat even the uefa champions league reforms that have been announced today aren't, aren't necessarily that great i don't think they're, they're heading in the same direction so so really it's almost like they've got ahead of the of uefa you know to a certain extent so it's a big shame, but I think one thing I would I would also stress is, you know, these clubs aren't the be all and end all. You know, um, Manchester City, sort of twenty years ago or so, were were in the lower divisions. Um, Chelsea as well. You know, every, all these clubs have had problems in their history. You know, Manchester United were relegated at one point. So I think when you look at this and widen out and look at it, there's an idea that these clubs rule over English football and that's the end of it. And nobody can do anything, but I, I don't necessarily agree with that. But that will be determined by fans, you know. And and also, I think one other thing to point out here is there's going to be a big say in this from players. I think there's going to be an interesting backstory here with with the player players, because number one, um, what's going to happen to their player contracts? A lot of these players at the top clubs will have contracts saying that they have bonus payments related to UEFA Champions League qualification, related to UEFA Champions League winning or group stages. You know, ex- examples. You know, million pound bonuses if they win the Champions League, for example. So what is going to happen to the, these contracts that they signed with these clubs? That's that's going to be a major, major issue here. 
And and then I also think that the players probably will have the final say on this. I don't think it's estimated enough the the, the power that these players have. Um, a good example of this: Jesse Lingard has more Twitter fan, tw- has a bigger social media following than West Ham United, uh, and by some distance. If you if you check it out, and you can go and check it now, Jesse Lingard is technically in in, in this new world of social media bigger than West Ham. So it's only going to take maybe some major players to say, listen, we're not, we're not, we're not interested in this and we're going to see out our contracts and go to other clubs to maybe tip the balance in some way. So it is really going to be, as a few people have said on in the show, like, all, you know, it is going to be kind of like a, almost a civil war to a certain extent. There is going to be a lot of twists and turns here and there will have to be compromises, I think. But when I look at it really where, where football's going, with the ownership that these clubs have, it probably will will head that way. But ultimately, fans will will have the final say, I think, in terms of who watches it. But 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 what what worries me is that we kind of have this initial angry outcry, but then the minute it's, the schedule comes out, people kind of get over it and, and move on. And that's what worries me. I think I've I've read today that BT Sport have come out hugely against it, but Sky haven't commented. So you know, if, if Sky can pick up the rights to the European Super League, they might quite like that. So you know, that that's that's really where principles are going to have to be seriously questioned and what do people stand for? And that will be the determining factor ultimately in all this. I know you're a close follower of Ligue 1. Um, what do you think the situation is like from France? How are they perceiving it over there? And how significant do you think PSG's can rejection of the European Super League is? Yeah, again, it's a, it's a great question and um, it's, it's a power play. You know, um, I think there's an element here potentially that you know, P- PS- PSG really and, and, and their ownership owe quite a lot to UEFA. I think that it would, you know, they mentioned the spitting in the face. I think I think for PSG to join it now would, would be a real spit in the face. So I think, again, it's a power play, but they'll be watching this very carefully and, and, and figuring out where to go on this. Um, from that perspective, I mean, I, I read that uh, Khalifa was, uh, Nasser Khalifa was asked to be the head, head of the ECA and, he, and he's turned it down for now. So, so that that kind of tells you a little bit, you know, this is going to be something. I watch this space element to it. Maybe a, a Champions League without those other twelve clubs maybe plays into PSG's hands to a certain extent. I mean, the, the reports that three of the teams that are left in the Champions League are going to be kicked out of this week. So, if that happens, PSG are the only ones left. So, you know, from that point of view, it's it's um, you know, I, I can see why they would turn it down at this moment in time and see where it goes. But, but really, again, it, it will be. It'll it'll be a power play, and, and it'll be up to it'll be up to UEFA to prove to PSG that they that it's worth their time sticking around. So it really is is quite intriguing, and it's going to come down to it will come down to money and finance and power, and and this is a real kind of Game of Thrones type you know battle really for the future of football. And it wouldn't surprise me to see a PSG turn eventually and maybe change their mind. At this moment in time, it probably makes sense from their point of view to stick stick with it. I think the French football clubs in general, you know, they're in a massive crisis in terms of the TV rights. So really when, when push comes to shove, you know, it's, it's, it's down to money, isn't it? And who, who's paying who? So, so it's difficult to really comment on where, French, you know, you can talk about idealistic point of view, like it's nice they haven't joined it, but ultimately it's going to come down to how much money, you know, if they, if five of the, there's, there's talk that there's obviously five, places up for grabs right so if if two of those go to french the two biggest clubs in france for example are they going to turn that down hard to, hard to say so really this is a power struggle between uefa and this new super league you know these two these founding members of the of this super league to kind of control the biggest clubs i'm not massively against a champions league with sort of bayern dortmund you know 
if it's Leeds United, West Ham, fine. Um, yeah, Everton, exactly. I, I'm not. I don't. I think fans can. I, I think. I think really one 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 thing that might be interesting is that I think these twelve clubs are overplaying their hand in terms of how important they really are, because the biggest followers of these clubs in terms of the domestic fans, it only takes for them to go off it. Then they're going to be really up against it in terms of. You know the, the finances. If you look all behind it, if, if these if, if if fans are so disgusted by it that they they're taking down banners, for example, at Anfield and things like that, that's that's really serious. And I think there's a, there's a risk that these clubs are going to overplay their hand and think that they're too too valuable. They're they're not. Um, fans move on. You know, like the, t- when when the formation when the Premier League was formed, you know, twenty five or twenty five years ago, nineteen ninety two or whatever, the founding members were Oldham Athletic. You know, it's Swindon Swindon Town, I think. Um, Ipswich Town, sorry. And others, and and they're not where they were then. So football moves quickly, and and Manchester City, Chelsea, Manchester United, they have no divine right to perpetually be the biggest clubs. It will depend on where things go, you know. Um, and so it only takes like a Haaland going to to Everton, or a Haaland going to Leeds, or a Kylian Mbappe going to West Ham in this new sort of UEFA, you know, Champions. If the UEFA Champions League is revamped, they give enough money, and these these players go to those leagues to stay to be able to keep their international places, for example, it's only going to take those kind of moves to, to, to reform European football, if that makes sense. So the power isn't with the clubs as much as they think it is, in my opinion. Um, but really, it's, it's money. It's all money. And that, that's the sad thing, really, that a game that is about merit, it's about, you know, kind of, we all love football because of the, the, the fact that a team can collapse, you know, like a Leeds United, Arsenal can finish ninth. That, that's the competitive spirit that we love about football. Um, if we wanted a close shot, we would follow other leagues, and and I think that's the the sad part of it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays. Like, it is a power struggle, really, and and um, a big one at that. Absolutely, uh, Sam. Your closing comments? Yeah, I think everything that to kind of decide and see what happens with this whole project is going to come down to what we've kind of already touched on the players. I mean, we've already seen. I'm sure, Jurgen Klopp is speaking about it, and he's not exactly kind of being a big fan of it. We know he's spoken against it in the past. He's not hiding that. He's not saying that he's changed his opinion or anything like that. And before we've seen some big players, Tony Cruz, I know he came out in the past and said that that it was a stupid idea, that not everything had to be about money. And if we do have these kinds of players that do come out, high-profile players, high-profile coaches, then that, that could have a bigger impact than maybe we think at the moment. I know that like we were saying earlier, Adam, when you said about fans, younger fans these days, not following clubs, but following players. I think that's something that's very much true and very much linked to to some of the fears of these big clubs that they're seeing, the kind of the younger generation, the generation Z, generation Z, aren't kind of attaching to clubs in the same way that older generations have. And I think that's true that younger people and, and the Asian audiences, the American audience, don't have the same kind of affinity that they pick one club and that's their club for life. And I think that's kind of a fear for these big clubs because they know that Barcelona can have an amazing five years, but then it'll be Real Madrid's turn and they don't want to lose those fans. So if they suddenly have their kind of big players coming out against it, if they're worried about whether they can play in the next World Cup or not, whether they're concerned about how many games they're going to have to play, all of these factors... I think there is real potential for some influential, high-profile players to, to have a real impact and really kind of blow these plans out of the water. It'll be interesting to see because I can't see the big ones, the Lionel Messi or the Cristiano Ronaldo's doing it. And then how will the clubs react? Will clubs just say, OK, if you're not interested, then 
will sell you and you can go and play for your Everton's or your Aston Villa's and whoever's left in the Premier League that isn't in the Super League. So I think it'll be an interesting battle to see how that plays out and kind of the real reaction. So I still don't think we've had a chance to see any reaction from players and really coaches. I think they're still kind of getting the, the basic information from the club. Jürgen Klopp said that he and the players found out yesterday and they've had barely any information about it. So I think we'll likely see that with time and it'll be it's just so, such a shock that it's come out of nowhere almost over the weekend. I don't think anyone's really prepared to, to give a justified answer and say what they think and why fully informed. So I think that's something that will come out with time and by then UEFA may have taken some some reaction and and really ban clubs or keep them out of the Champions League and it all just seems likely to escalate before it's going to calm down and come to some kind of reasonable conclusion. But I think we have to try and be be optimistic and think that football has changed in the past. Um, this change seems to be a much bigger change than we've had for a long, long time. But it's what the the market has almost demanded, going back to what Mark was saying about us all being complicit in it in a way. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And I think the players and the coaches will have a big role to play in that and something at the moment we're not really taking into account. Absolutely fascinating few weeks ahead. Uh, John, um, I'll give you the last word. Why are your kind of closing sentiments? It's all wrong. And like Mark said, we're all kind of complicit in some way, shape or form. UEFA are wrong. For example, their proposed Champions League tournament is just as bad and it contains some of the similar kind of parts of it to what the European Super League has proposed. For example, some, in inverted commas, non-elite clubs can qualify despite the fact that they might necessarily finish in the requisite positions in their league table. I think the people point scoring are wrong, like people from different clubs, because, for example, a lot of Premier League clubs during the midst of the pandemic masqueraded as pretending to care about people's safety when basically they wanted the season null and voided because they're afraid of being relegated and losing the Premier League money. And then certain prominent pundits who work for Sky are also wrong because they bankroll a lower league club who are doing this on a smaller scale. And they were probably one of the people who has benefited most from the Sky accelerating this uh, this type of thing in 1992 in their career. So, I mean... I guess it's just everybody's wrong, and it's like it's a, it's a confederacy of wrongness, and it's a, it's it's a quagmire of just badness, and we're we're mired in it, unfortunately. Um, I, I like the way that Sam has kind of uh, has put an optimistic kind of a slant on it, and maybe it won't turn out as bad as as we think it will. Yeah, to be honest with you, if Erling Haaland ends up playing for Everton, I think I'll, I'll, I'll change my view in the whole situation. But uh, anyway, guys, uh, that's that's it for today. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, obviously, a lot to get through. Not really a structure because there was literally news breaking as it happened and a lot of voices from all over Europe to speak to. So really appreciate it, guys, for taking the time to speak to me. Um, social media, just to kind of get uh, where to follow you, where to follow your news stories and your continued takes on this kind of ongoing uh, news story. Uh, Mark, I'll start with you. Yeah, you do this every time and I always have to look up my uh, Twitter handle. It's so rubbish, right? It's <laughs> at Mark underscore Doyle 11. So I will not be offended if nobody followed me because it's just a rubbish handle. So, But yeah, all my work is on, find my work on goal anyway. I'm usually on there banging on about or complaining about Super Leagues or writing about Serie A and, and Juventus and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm um, plugging away for goal. 
definitely worth the read and a follow for sure, uh, Mark. Um, Jasmine, how about you? You can find me on Twitter underscore Jasmine Baba. Just a heads up, remember that Jose Mourinho was sacked and Flick said he wanted to leave Bayern this weekend if you missed that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a quite remarkable weekend, genuinely. Remarkable week of football. Uh, Jonathan, where can people find you? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at JFFootballFUTBOL. And yeah, thanks a lot, guys, for, for inviting me. Uh, interesting discussion and uh, a lot of passionate feelings. Uh, Sam, how about you? That's Sam Leverage on Twitter. And just to kind of add to Jasmine's point, I just want to remind everyone that Barcelona won the Copa del Rey and Real Madrid lost the league in La Liga as well. So Florentino Perez has done a great job of covering that. I forgot to mention Atletico Madrid won 5 0 against Eibar to kind of put the whole uh, slump to, 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 to the test, really, wasn't it? Like, good result for them. An interesting title race in La Liga if we are going to actually be able to see out the season and the way things are going. Um, and then finally, John, your socials. I know you always preface it with the gluttons for punishment, but uh, go on, give us skills. You can find me on Twitter at NotoriousJOS. I think my indignation might manifest itself this week to me banging my keyboard uh, for Anfield Index and writing something about this whole European Super League Ferrari. And uh, yeah, hopefully the next time we, we come on, we talk about actual football and not a bunch of suits in a boardroom somewhere because let's not lose sight of what this game is about. But uh, anyway, I'll leave it there. Uh, get me at Azulfeely, A-Z-U-L-F-E-E-H-E-Y on Twitter. Um, and so, yeah, thanks a million guys for joining me. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate each one of your insights. Um, very invaluable. And for all listeners, if you enjoyed this, please share so we can continue to grow and bring more kind of in high quality, in-depth discussions like this one. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys and we'll see you next week.